Welcome to the podcast of Central Church. This is our latest weekly message. All right, so I'm going to welcome up Bruce. Um, so we have been, um, this month, does anyone know, so every month in this year, I think we've been looking at a different passage of scripture. Does anyone know what this month's passage is? Yeah, the, which, which verses in Jonah? The whole book, the whole book of Jonah, all the verses. Um, and so we have different people speaking on um, the book of Jonah. You would have looked at it if you're part of a house church um, at the end of last month together. And then, yeah, we have different speakers come and share. And so this week, um, it's fun. We have Bruce Skinner. Um, so a few of us in this room know Bruce. Does anyone know Bruce besides? Yeah, we've got a few people in Jess, oh, yeah, Jess is actually Bruce's daughter, so we all know Jess, um, and, and Theo is Bruce's grandchild, and Brian is Bruce's son-in-law, yes, um, so Bruce just lives down the road, actually right on, well, I shouldn't give your address, but right, right on Wentworth Street, actually, for the last probably like eight years or so, ten years, yeah, I'm very vague on years. Um, yeah, and so, yeah, I'm really excited to have Bruce here. Um, so Bruce currently is a co-director of um, the Youth of the Mission um, base, which is just down the street at the other end of Wentworth Street, and he co-directs that with his wife, Kristen, who is Jess's mom. Um, and so that's, um, some of you are familiar with YWAM, but Youth of the Mission, it's an interdenominational um, Christian organization that focuses partly on discipling young people um, and then sending them out into kind of service learning, missional experiences in often in other cultures. Um, COVID has like slowed that dramatically for some of us, but um, the, the base will actually start another discipleship training school at the end of August, if anyone's interested in joining. Um, and, and Bruce was the national director for YWAM Australia convener, the national convener, which means the one who wisely gathers everyone together um, for a few years, but he, he's not doing that anymore. But um, he's been leading YOM Wollongong for 17 years. And um, before that, he was an engineer at Blue Scope. That's correct. I was, there's two That's options. Okay, yes. Okay, that's why that's in my head. Okay, Blue Scope, BHP. Um, and has also been involved with like Alpha courses and other church-related ministry like that. So, um, but I know Bruce, um, I've known Bruce for the last 12, 12 or so years and uh, have been really grateful as someone who's on staff with YWAM just for his, the way he and Kristen both lead. Um, just with that, they're like, just the... They lead with power under. They lead, like, really exemplifying servant leadership. And when you have feisty people around, like myself, I'm sure that's challenging sometimes. <laughs> but he, and, and his wife, but he, he has the capacity, really, to hold a lot of tension, to, um, yeah, just really hold space for people. And I've really appreciated that. And I'm, I'm sad I'm going to go upstairs with the kids, but I will listen on the podcast. And, um, yeah, so I hope that you enjoy speaking to us. Thanks, Becca. You get about an hour. About an hour. Ooh. <laughs> Is that a blessing to you or the kids or neither? 
Good evening. Great to be with you. Uh, here where I'm, I'm here regularly. Um, I'm usually up there where Oren is. That's my favourite spot, uh, hiding up the back there behind the sound desk. That's where I enjoy being. Um, I do this stuff when God asks me to, and you know, Oren, God, same thing, I guess. You know, conversation, yeah, between. Yes, yes, it's hard to tell the difference. Um, but yeah, he asked me to, to share on this you know, Bible story that you're looking at this month of Nineveh. But he said, can you? Can you talk about it from a missional kind of slant or perspective, given that, you know, missions is, is our jam? And I, th- I said, sure, I can, but it, it might be a little different than perhaps what you're expecting. Because um, I'm actually going to mostly be talking about a different Bible story from the Old Testament that's not the story of Jonah and Nineveh. In fact, it's a much older or further back in the history of the Bible. But before I get there, I need to do, build some foundations. I need to build some foundations before we talk about the story of Abraham and Sodom and Gomorrah. Because these are quite similar stories. You know, the more time you look at them and compare and contrast, they're quite similar stories. But before I get there, I need to build some foundations. Now, if we're talking about missions, we often talk about we're going out to preach the gospel to every creature. Does that sound familiar, preaching the gospel? And the moment I say that word gospel, that tends to mean something immediately in our minds. If you're anything like me growing up in a you know, regular church world, immediately I know that that means you know, Jesus' death, resurrection, ascension, you know, to deal with our sin problem, all that kind of stuff. That's the gospel, right? That's the good news. And that's really all it means. Good news, yeah, the, the word gospel simply means news that is good. A little bit like, I think it was two Sunday nights ago on our, our, our campus WhatsApp group, Somebody posted that um, the BP service station just up the road here was having this awesome deal. It was like, I don't know, a dollar off a litre for fuel or something like that. And they said, you know, the line was from the BP all the way down Wentworth Street and all the way down, I think it's Church Street, down towards Warrawong. The people had just shown up. So essentially that person that, you know, let everybody know that there was this special on, they just gospeled everybody else. They told them the good news, where to get the, the good cheap fuel. So if we're going to think about the gospel, uh, when we're teaching on missions in our, our, our mission schools in YWAM, we're often wanting people to understand that the, the Bible should help us define the Bible. You know, if you go to seminary, they'll tell you, go to the Bible, let it define words that are in the Bible for us. And this is an example of it. So this is Paul writing to the Galatians, who are a, a non-Jewish group, a, a Gentile group, um, and he's saying to them that Scripture meaning, you know, Old Testament stuff, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you all the nations will be blessed. It's interesting because I don't tend to think about the story of Abraham having to be the the definition of the gospel. What is the good news? And it's interesting that even um, Jesus, when he used that phrase, you know, the gospel of, it was always followed with the kingdom of God. It was always about the good news of the kingdom of God. Whereas we tend to think, like I said, in my youth growing up, it was the gospel of salvation. Salvation is good news. It's a good thing. But Jesus, I think, is after something a bit bigger than that. So anyway, we look at what Paul says here to the Galatians. He's saying, God's already told us what the gospel is when he spoke to Abraham, way back there in Genesis chapter 12. It's where God says, Abraham, I want you to go from the land you're in and I want you to, to go up to this other place. And I'm, when I get there, this is how it's all going to work. 
I'll make you a great nation. And I will bless you and I'll make your name great. And you will be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you and whoever curses you will be cursed. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now, in the missions world and in the, you know, the theological world, we call this the Abrahamic covenant. It's a covenant that God makes with Abraham and all of his descendants from that point on. That I will bless you, he says. This is what we call the top line. The top line is God saying what God's part of the covenant is. He says, I'm going to bless you. And, of course, if you go on throughout the rest of the story of the Bible, you see God is constantly wanting to bless his people. I think there's one, one point there in the Old Testament that says you can run away from the blessings of God if you like, but God is going to chase you down the street. It's like you can't get away from the blessings of God. He says, I'm going to bless you, but here now we get to what, you know, in any covenant there's, a, there's two parts to covenants because there are relationships, right? And so in this other part of the covenant, there's an, a response to this. It's a little bit like God is saying, guys, guys, Abraham, you and all your descendants, I love you guys, and I'm going to bless you. It's a little bit like if my wife said to me, you know, Bruce, you know, uh, just, I, really, I really love you and I just want to bless you. And when my, my wife says to me, I love you, I think an appropriate response is probably not for me to say thank you. Thanks, babe. I really appreciate that. Yeah, that's really good. Whew. How do you think that would go in any of your marriages and, you know, your imagination? Probably not that great, right? <laughs> an appropriate response would be something like, well, babe, I love you too. <laughs> and I want to bless you too. That would be an appropriate response, right? Well, see, God's a bit smarter than us. And he says, I'm going to tell you what the appropriate response is. <laughs> Here, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to pour out my blessings on you. And now I want you to be a blessing to everybody else. That's the appropriate response. It's a little bit like, you know, love, Lord your God, heart, soul, mind, and strength. Woo, yes, let's, let's get good with God. And then Jesus says, now, love your neighbor. That's the appropriate response. So here's this covenant God makes with Abraham, way back there, old school. And he's saying, I'm going to bless you, and through you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Now, the interesting part of this is that God is saying, I am now bound by this relationship covenant with you as to my primary way that I'm going to get to all these nations. God is saying through you and your descendants alone is how I'm going to get to these other nations. So God started something here. Now we might think, well, you know, that's Abraham, that's old school. Unless you're, you know, if, is anybody here from Jewish heritage that you know of? Well, go back to Abraham. I like to ask. There's, sometimes there's someone in the room. All right, so the rest of us, we would consider ourselves Gentiles. Not in that line, right? Well, then we're not in that covenant because we're not descendants of Abraham, right? Paul deals with that when he writes to the Ephesians, who are also Gentiles, just like us. And he says, remember at that time, back then, you were separate from Christ, excluded from the citizenship in Israel, from that family line that goes down there from Abraham, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were, you know, were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. Now we talk about that, we call this, that it's the, the adoption of God. He looks to us that are not a part of his family, and he adopts us into the family of God. 
And so when, when we're adopted in, we become sons and daughters, which means if we are in the family of God, then essentially we are in the covenants that God made with that family. So what this means is, for you and I, if we believe and we're in the family, we're in this covenant. God has made this covenant with us, with you and I, that he will bless us. Do you, I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm looking around the room here and compared to some places like Burma or maybe Ukraine or other parts of the world right now, I'm feeling pretty blessed right now. I don't know about you. Sitting in a room here where there's windows that shut sometimes and uh, heaters on the walls and blankets when we're cold, I feel pretty blessed to live in this beautiful part of the world, beautiful part of Australia with beautiful beaches. I feel pretty blessed. But what am I going to do with that now? What's my appropriate response to God with the blessings that I have? All right. Now we've got some foundations. God's made a covenant with Abraham through him and his descendants alone. Now let's get to the story of Abraham and Sodom and Gomorrah. Pick it up in Genesis chapter 18. Now, this is time where, um, you know, Abraham, he's heading off to visit his family over there in Sodom and Gomorrah. And uh, he's camped for the night. He's about to set up for the night. And he looks down towards uh, you know, these guys that are showing up. These three men come along. You guys can read it in the background there. I'm going to kind of do my version of the story out here. So Abraham has these three guys that show up. And we know that it's God by the end of the story. So it's these three figures show up. Now, three of them, God, just for fun, what do you reckon was going on there? Three beings, one God. I'm going to guess one was the Father and one might have been the Son and the other was perhaps the Holy Spirit represented there. Maybe, just for fun. The bit that I find really interesting is that only one of them speaks to him. One of them communicates and of, you know, the one that is the communicating part of the Godhead, John 1 says, you know, in the beginning was the Word, and he's talking about Jesus. So here's a, you know, a fair guess. I reckon it's Jesus that has a conversation with Abraham here. I can't prove it, but I find it pretty compelling that of the three of them, the one that speaks is Jesus. Anyway, so here we have, you know, they've hung out, they've, they're having a bit of a meal, they're, they're, they're chatting and hanging out. And then it's almost like there's a side discussion. It's like one of those you know, sitcoms you know, on the TV and you see them, they walk across to the other part of the room like nobody else can hear them. And these three have a bit of a conversation. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. So the Lord will bring about Abraham for, for Abraham what he has promised him. So they have this little conversation. Should we tell him what we're going to do? Should we tell him the plan? Should we? And then one of them goes back and the other two leave. So then we pick up the story here and we get to the next part of the conversation. God then says to Abraham, the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sins so grievous that I will go down and see what, I, what, what they have done, is, if the, what they've done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. All right. 
Let's just ask a couple of questions here to begin with. Now, if we kind of mostly know the end of the story, Sodom and Gomorrah. Yep, that's how it kind of finishes, the end of the story. So we know that that's where it's going. Now, if that was God's plan all along, just then we need to ask some questions. Why, why did God even show up that day? Why didn't God, from wherever God sits, hangs out, just go, why did he even come down? And even more interestingly, why did he come down and go the way that Abraham was there? Why did he go and seek out Abraham? These are interesting questions in my mind. It was almost as though there was a reason for it. Something to do with Abraham. Remember, God has already made a promise with Abraham. Through you and your descendants, that's how I want to get to every other group of people on the planet. And because it's a covenant, God can't do it any other way. He said, through you and you alone, I want to get to them. So God wants to get to them. He needs the agreement of Abraham to get there. So he comes down to see Abraham, and they're having a bit of a conversation. Does God ever tell Abraham about the destruction that's coming? Hmm. Now, I grew up in Sunday school assuming yes. But let's keep reading on in the text. Because remember, it said, will we you know, tell him what we're about to do, what our plan is? And then God comes over and says, you know, the cry has heard my ears, you know. So I'll come, we'll come down and have a look for ourselves. What you're going to notice here is that that's all God says. If we go to the next line in the, in the, the text, they, off they go, two of them leave, go off to Sodom and Gomorrah, and one of them remains with Abraham there. And I imagine just kind of lingering. And then Abraham speaks next. Can you see between Abraham speaking here in verse 23, before that where God says destruction is coming for Sodom and Gomorrah? It's not there. Hmm. God never told Abraham destruction was coming. I find that really intriguing. He shows up. Abraham's there. He's looking at God. He's thinking of Sodom and Gomorrah. He's looking at God. And he says, will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? And the Lord says to him, does, does God now respond and say, you punk, don't tell me what to do. I'm God almighty. You don't, we don't play these games. I'm here. Destruction is coming. Does God say, what are you doing? No, God's response is, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Interesting. Does God then leave and head off? No. I imagine God is, this is my version, God's kind of standing over here twiddling his thumbs, waiting for Abraham. Looking at Abraham, waiting for Abraham. Of course, we know, if you know the story, Abraham doesn't stop there. 
he says, now that I have been so bold, and it's pretty bold, right? He's speaking to God. He's pretty bold. Though I am nothing but dust and ashes, what if the number of the righteous is five less than 50? Like 45. Will you destroy the whole city for the lack of the, you know, the five? If I find 45, God says, I will not destroy it. Does then God leave? No. God waits. Abraham, next thing you know, he's going, well, what if there's 40? Does God at this point go, dude, come on, man. Two strikes, three, man. We don't want to go there. Come on. We had a deal at 50. We had a deal at 45. Come on. You're pushing your luck here now. What does God say? For the sake of the 40, I will not do it. Then Abraham decides to keep going. He says, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak. What if only 30 can be found? Does God now just line him up like a football on the field and just go, you punk? He's got offended by this. He's got angry at him for pushing God. No, God responds pretty quickly. He says, for the sake of the 30, sure, I'll do it. I'm not going to do it. Then we get down to 20. What does God say? Sure. It just keeps going, doesn't it? Hmm. 30, good. 20, good. Then we get down to 10. What if there's 10? I mean, this has been going backwards and forwards for a while by now, hasn't it? Gets down to 10. And God says, what if there's 10? Well, then if there's not 10, if there's 10, I will not destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. When the Lord had finished speaking with Abraham, he left and Abraham returned home. Have you ever wondered why Abraham stopped at 10? Why didn't he keep going? I mean, he's pushed him this far. He's got God convinced from 50 down to 10. It's going down pretty fast here. Why did he stop at 10? What do you think God might have said if he'd said, God, what if there's five? Hmm. What would would he lose by at least asking? There's no inclination yet that God is going to get mad at him and say no. (laughs) We're down at ten. What if he'd said five? I reckon God might have said, for the sake of the five, I'll spare them all. What if Abraham said four? What if he said three? What if he said two? What if he said one? What if he said, I don't know if there's any good people there, God, but what if I go and I warn them that destruction is coming for them unless they change their ways? Hmm. So it's starting to sound a little bit familiar now to the story of Jonah and Nineveh. Of course, you know the story of Jonah and Nineveh. Things get... Um, get pretty bad, don't they? Well, God wants him to go, but Jonah doesn't want to go, does he? Why doesn't Jonah want to go and preach prophecy, prophetic word that destruction? Why doesn't he want to go? Because he doesn't care for them. There's no love for them. In, if anything, there's more disdain and hatred for them. It was kind of the way I've heard it talked about. Nineveh was like Vegas for Jews. 
You know, whatever happens in, in Nineveh stays in Nineveh, you know. And the Jews would go up there and do things that they weren't allowed to do in their hometowns, and then they'd come back as though nothing had ever happened. To this guy who's a, a prophet and probably, you know, pretty righteous in himself, it was an abomination to him. And we see that get picked up in the story a little later. So why didn't he want, why is it when, when he gets a choice to go on a, on a boat, do I go this way to Nineveh? No, I'm going this way. <laughs> he doesn't want to go, does he? Why did Abraham stop at 10? Hmm. I'm going to make some assumptions here. So these are assumptions. I reckon Abraham's thinking, you know what? If there's only nine, that's not enough. Let them burn. So who measured them to be unworthy of God's salvation? Who determined them to be unworthy of of a prophet coming and speaking uh, an opportunity for them to change their hearts towards God? Because that's what it would be, right? It'd be a a prophet with a, I understand that this is coming for you. You now get to respond to this. Because isn't that the story of Jonah and Nineveh? A prophet with a message of hope? Connected to doom if you choose a bad choice. So he stops at 10. Oh, this question's maybe making us a little bit uncomfortable. So who condemns Sodom and Gomorrah? Who determined that they were unworthy? Was it God or Abraham? The only difference between this story and the story of Jonah is that the people got to choose for themselves how they wanted to respond. You remember, we got Jonah here, you know, God's uh, deciding to, to do something and, and, and he doesn't want him to do it. Remember, he says, but Jonah says, I, I don't want to do this because to his mind it seemed very wrong that God would give them an opportunity to respond because they don't deserve this. He became angry, it says here in verse 2. He prayed to the Lord. He said to the Lord, "Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That this is why I didn't want to come here because I knew that if I got here and I told them that there was a chance that you would you wouldn't burn them. I knew that's what that's why I didn't want to come here, and I wanted you to burn them. I wanted them to be off the planet. And some friends of mine were." Um, on one of the earliest flights going into Afghanistan after you know, the initial, you know, after 9-11. Some missionary guys heading in there with basically just United Nations guys and uh, missionaries on this flight. And they're flying into Kabul. And my friend could overhear conversations of some of these UN workers. And they're saying stuff like, I don't know why we're doing this. I don't even know why we're coming here. I reckon, why, don't we, why don't we just drop the bomb on them all? And just be done with it. We're just wasting our time here. This was the conversation that were happening on the plane. And, you know, after 9-11, those that lived through that era, you know, there was some really negative sentiment towards anything that was Muslim or Islamic, wasn't it? You know, in many people's hearts and minds to be a Muslim was to be a terrorist. Of course, we know that's not true now, right? 
I went there with, with Jess and Cam and we took our family there in 2003. And we served over there for a few months. And there are a lot of people who thought we were insane. Really upset with us. You know. Even our family was like, no, don't do this. It's irresponsible for you to take your, your kids in there. Irresponsible for you to go a place like that. But we went anyway. And we, you know what we found? All Muslims weren't terrorists. <laughs> Some of the most generous, hospitable people I've ever met on the planet. You know, when we would show up, they would invite us into their homes. If we were there more than you know, 24 hours and our neighbours hadn't invited us into their homes for a meal, they would be horrified. <laughs> These people that have nothing, but still incredibly generous. We experienced their generosity. And we still today have strong connections there. I remember one of the girls that was on our team at that time went back long term. You know, 22-year-old tiny little girl <laughs> and, uh, and she was on the plane and, and heading in and there was a guy there you know, asking her why are you heading into Afghanistan she said I'm going as a missionary and the guy said why would you do that and she said because I think God loves them <laughs> I think God cares for them I think God wants them to hear of a God who loves them and he said to her yeah, what is wrong with your parents? This is what the guy said to her on the plane. What is wrong with your parents letting you get on a plane and come over here? They should be ashamed of themselves, is what he said to her. And yet, I imagine if it had been a 22-year-old young man from America with a semi-automatic or an automatic rifle and a flak jacket, he probably would have cheered him on. Wouldn't it be better if we went with a message of hope than a message of destruction to these kind of places? I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. And he's so mad at God, he says, take away my life. I'd rather I was dead than to see you not destroy them. Wow. That's pretty messed up, isn't it? God says to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Because remember, you can see a little tree there. You know, you remember the story, the Veggie Tales? Remember the Veggie Tales stories? Yeah, it's, that's actually the Veggie Tales picture in the background I've thrown up there just for fun. You know, he gets under the tree and he's sitting there. And of course, in the background there is, is Sodom and Gomorrah. He's got a good shot, so, a spot ready for the show, right? He's set up, got his you know, pina colada under the tree. I don't know, something like that. Waiting for the show. And he gets angry at this tree that, that withers, right? Because it's not doing what he wanted it to do. And God says, um, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? He says, it is. And I'm so angry, I wish I was dead. But the Lord says, you've been concerned about this plant. Though you did not tend to it or make it grow, it sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh? in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals. I think God likes the animals probably more than we do. God cares. God really wants to have his love reach its target in all the earth. All of us. God wants to get to every one of us. So as I think about this, kind of looking at these two stories of Old Testament, Abraham, New Testament, Jonah. 
Jonah doesn't want to go because he, he thinks they should burn. Abraham, once again, it's a bit of an assumption for me, is that he's decided, you know what, if there's only 10, that's not enough. Now, God is bound, as I said, by that relationship, that covenant with Abraham. God wants to get to Sodom and Gomorrah, but he needs to go through Abraham because of the covenant he's made with him. So now there is no hope left for Sodom and Gomorrah. That was, that's it. God's done the deal. Because when God makes a covenant, God doesn't break his covenants. We are in that same covenant with God. We are blessed beyond all measure. <laughs> and we are blessed, but what is our appropriate response? To be a blessing to all the nations of the earth. That's our appropriate response. What can we be a part of that would be about God's love reaching its target? Now, if you've, you've listened to fairly recent Christian music, um, based on your theme for this month, you may have heard of uh, Brooke Liggettwood, have I said that right? Um, song on her most recent album about Nineveh. It's really cool if you haven't heard it. I really like it. There's a, a line in it. It's part of the chorus. It says, Nineveh, O Nineveh, the Lord is turning towards you. But what was the, the motivation of God's heart as he's looking towards Nineveh? Is it God's hatred and desire for destruction for them? Or is it God's reckless, abandoned love toward them that he wants to reach its target? The Lord is turning toward you. And then at one point she sings this phrase, which I think is really good. But I'm going to build on it in a second. She says, Holy Spirit, help me see where there is Nineveh in me. That reckless bit that's gone off the tracks, that's out of... Maybe that's the message for us. Where is Nineveh in me? Well, I'm going to add a, a, another one. Where is Jonah in me? Where is Jonah or Abraham in me? That part of me where I look at others and particularly in other parts of the world where we see terrible things that are happening, where is that measure of their unworthiness of salvation in me? That we've written them off. We've given up. How often do we pray for the Vladimir Putins of the world? That God's love would reach its target in men like that. Where is Jonah in me? Where is Holy Spirit? Help me see where there is Abraham and Jonah in me. God goes on in Jonah chapter 4 and he says, For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord of all richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Actually, it's not from Jonah, sorry. That's from... New Testament, Hebrews, I think, Hebrews 10, chapter 12. Does that sound right, Chuck? Yeah, Hebrews 10, starting in 12. This is Paul. He says, For there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they've not heard. And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Guys, it's the most incredible privilege to do what Paul does around the world. 
It's an incredible privilege to go there with our feet on the ground with an invitation from the God of the universe to a relationship. To be a part of that is a real privilege. Not all of us are called to go. Not all of us will be sent and get that privilege. But we all have the opportunity to be a part of that on the planet. And we think about how might I be a blessing to all the nations of the earth? What part would I play? So that like this covenant that God makes with Abraham, that all people on earth would be blessed through you guys, through us. So I'm going to finish up there. Um, I'm going to, just going to pray for us. I like to stand up when I'm praying. You don't have to, but if you, if you like to stand, I like to stand when I'm praying. I like to be a whole body experience when I pray, not just with my, you know, my, my spirit or my soul. I like to pray with my whole self. And so as we're standing, you know, if you want, like I said, if you're comfortable, please stand with me. Um, if you don't, that's fine. You're not closer to heaven. It doesn't work like that. Um, not that I'm aware of. <laughs> Father God, Jesus, Holy Spirit, three in one. We stand here in your presence or sit in your presence here tonight because you've always been here. You will always be here because you're the Alpha and the Omega. As we're here in your presence, Holy Spirit, we invite you to... You know, do some work in our hearts if we need it. What is it that um, you would want to say to us about these stories of, of Abraham and Jonah? Of your heart's desire that we may be missing for people around the world that perhaps we've given up on, that we've written off, that we've not really cared that much for. God, help us to be sensitive to your leading and your prompting and a softening of our hearts to your your will and desire and purposes holy spirit if there's some of that in me that we've talked about tonight show me that i might be free from that holy spirit come and help us see more clearly that we might be able to choose more freely a life that looks like you Thank you, God, that you continue to bless us abundantly over and over and over. We, we're just reminded each and every day of the incredible blessings in our lives, even though we face hardship, even though we face trials. But we know that you are with us. What a joy that is. And Lord, help us to find the way to respond appropriately and be a blessing for all the nations of the earth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you want to check out more about Central, visit us at centralchurch.org.au. Music by Chris D'Souza, a beloved member of Central.